have to have water this morning, this week at camp, I screamed my lungs off. Not in discipline, but in worship. Uh, the music was so loud that you couldn't hear yourself speak, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, that's a good thing for, for this generation and, and for me. I'm kind of stuck between generations. But amazing week at camp, amazing two weeks at camp. And um, one of the things that uh, was common about uh, both settings, whether that was with Central Kid uh, or with Big Stuff, is that uh, through the course of the week, uh, children talk uh, and students talk. And they begin sharing their stories and they begin because they can't keep their stories away from you. Um, and what happens is, um, is that you get a window into their lives. Uh, the six days that we spent together, you get a window, a small snippet of a greater reality. Some of our kids, both youth and, student, uh, and children, come from great homes. Come from great homes where the mom and dad is there. Mom and dad are there to encourage them. Uh, they have not a need for anything. Uh, they want it. Uh, parents provide it. Uh, they are able to shop at the stores they want to shop at, get the things that they want. They want to go out to eat, go out to eat and whatnot. But there are other students in our midst that don't come from the greatest settings. And they begin sharing their stories. And you realize why they need to be at camp. They begin sharing their stories and you realize that often you have taken so many things for granted in the life that you've lived, in the life that you have been blessed with. And you listen to their stories and the things that they pray for and the things that they desire, and you see there's not a difference between fun and what the reality is. It's all kind of interwoven. So when a student begins to share or a child begins to share, it can go from a very funny story and very quickly evolve into a story of abuse or a story of trouble or a story of pain and they're smiling the whole time and I'm left speechless because what I sense and what I hear and what the Spirit is saying to me is if there's anything that we need to do at First Baptist Church and make an absolute priority of our ministry and of our focus it is to invest in children it's to invest in youth and it's to love them regardless. So many of you in this room and so many students and children, the truth of God is revealed in their prayers. The truth of God is revealed in their conversations and in their joking. Because here's the thing. Every single person that I've been to camp with in the last two weeks ultimately wants to be accepted. They ultimately want to be loved. They ultimately want to be needed. And our commitment must be to provide them that necessary environment. It would be very easy for me and probably for many of us when we are faced with hardships or circumstances that we don't like and we have these kind of things all the time that pop up in our lives. It would be very easy for us 
to pray that God would move in those circumstances and remove us from those circumstances. One of the key components this week, and you could probably ask any of the, uh, the youth that this week, uh, one of the key components of the message this week was, don't pray asking God to remove you from your circumstances, but what? Pray that God will use your circumstances. One of the things that I've done frequently in my life, and perhaps it's true in yours, is I've prayed that God would change my circumstances, make my life better. And life better for me and the way I view it has always been what I think it should be, what, what I think would make my life better. And I've, I've lived long enough to know in my 39 years that some of the things that I would want to tweak about my life and, and implement some things to make them better actually would not have made them better. It would have made it much worse because we want to be comfortable we want to be we want to be affirmed we want to be accepted and we, we're okay with change as long as the change doesn't affect us uh, before I came here uh, I served as a pastor of a church that that wanted change but the thing was change was not something they truly wanted it's easy to say you want change it's a lot harder to commit to it because when you and I are committed to change, we are committed to the uncertain possibilities of God. We are relinquishing control. We are surrendering our stated claim on this life of ours. We're relinquishing our stated claim on this church of ours as if it was ours anyway. And by the way, I'll go as far and chase a rabbit here and say that I believe that the church becomes its greatest when we free the church up and allow God to have it as His because it is His in the first place. We need to surrender it and give it back to God. Just as we need to surrender our lives and make sure they are at rest with Him. Now this week, as they shared, you know, God wants to use our circumstances. But another point that the Spirit really spoke to me this week about was this. And that this would be applicable for children and youth and all of us. God doesn't so much want to change your circumstances as much as He desires to change us within the circumstances. Don't, not allowing circumstances to determine our commitment. Not allowing circumstances to determine how we view. Because, listen ladies and gentlemen, our outlook will always determine our outcome. The way we view things, the way we perceive things, the way we perceive people will always affect our ability to love them and it will always affect their ability to receive the love that we give. If we are loving people just in order to grow the church, we're loving for the wrong reasons. Why should we love? We should love because God first loved us. And so in 2 Thessalonians, in chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, the Bible says, Paul writing, that we are always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. And then in verse 14 he says, He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So first and foremost, ladies and gentlemen, we need to always be thankful and grateful to God for everything that He's given us. And for some of us, it's hard to be thankful for some of the things that we, we experience every day. For some of us that don't come from good families or come from less than the best families as we see, it's hard to say, God, thank you for what you've given to me in family. But what we can thank God for is, thank you, God, for allowing me to be a part 
of a family that's an extension of you. Because whether you came from a good family or whether you came from a bad family, whether you came from America's greatest family or whether you came from America's worst family, the best family that you and I can be a part of is often not blood relative. The greatest family that you and I can participate in and be a part of is the family of God, which is the church. And I know that you know for years, I don't think we've really capitalized on that because we viewed church as a bunch of stoic people that believe in Jesus and they come in their three-piece suits and they sing Amazing Grace and they, they listen and they respond and they go back home and go about their merry week. But the family of God is supposed to be just that, a family. Now, how many of you have a perfect family? None of us do. Families experience drama all the time. And what is, what's drama in families caused by? Anybody? What? Caused by what? Do, what? Selfishness. Selfishness on my part. She's pointing that out. Uh, <laughs> drama in families. I'm going to drink to that. <laughs> Drama in family is often caused by selfishness. Sometimes it's caused by this tongue, namely mine. Um, and we say things that we shouldn't. Or we say things that someone perceives or someone receives differently than what we intended. And so drama ensues. Listen, every family has drama. Every church will have drama as long as that church is truly a family. It's going to happen. It is a byproduct of being in a family relationship. But you know, the interesting thing about it is, I don't get the opportunity to walk out on family. Now you may say, well, of course you have that opportunity. Uh, just because, listen, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. There's a difference in can and should. God desires his family to work together. And in this family of God, we have, listen, we have multi-generations. We have multiple people that come from a wide cross-section of diversity. We have people who are wealthy. We have people that are not wealthy. We have people that uh, are social. We have people that are antisocial. We have people that love music. We have people that hate music. We have people that like traditional. We have people that like uh, contemporary. We have people that just like the whole uh, kit and caboodle. We have people that like the organ. We have people that like the piano. We have people that like the guitar. Hopefully we all love Jesus. I'm hoping that. Uh, but you know, we have all this diversity. Some of you like me in a suit. Some of you would prefer me to wear a tie every Sunday. Some of you would love for me to have a three-piece suit every Sunday. Some of you still haven't gotten over the fact that I wore jeans last week. Uh, but all of that to say, every, listen, everybody, just like everybody has an opinion about what I ought to do or what I ought to be, everybody has an opinion about what you need to be, do, what you need to be, how need, you need to respond, how you need to flourish, how you need to behave, how you need to live in the context of what this family of God is as the church. So because everybody has an opinion, that doesn't mean that you have to live out everybody's opinion. What it means is that we collectively have to make sure that the main thing is the main thing. Thank God always. You ought to always thank God. 
because we're loved by the Lord, because God has chosen us as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth, which is Jesus Christ. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I may not like where we are, but you and I could always be grateful for whose we are. You and I may not li always like the circumstances. I mean, uh, for instance, one of the big things here in, in our area community, whether it's Carter County Schools or Elizabeth City Schools, uh, parents want to know uh, what, uh, what teacher their child's going to get. Okay? Uh, and it, it, it kind of becomes this kind of game. We, we want to make sure that we have the right teacher. And my philosophy is this, that in life, you don't always get to choose who is an authority figure over you. My child will not always, listen, if Anderson goes or Abigail goes to college, which I hope they will, but if, you know, if, if they go to college, they don't always get to choose a professor or a teacher that's easy. They don't always get to choose a personality in their classroom or personality uh, that they intertwine with in the workplace that meets their personality. In other words, you and I are not always going to get along with each other. There are going to be differences. We're going to have certain affinities towards certain personalities. I mean, the thing, uh, thing about me is uh, I gravitate towards people that are positive. If you're negative, mm -mm. I just, I just don't. And it's not intentional. It's just if you're a negative person, I just, my spirit does not want to be around you. It, it just does not. Because I see enough negative. All I have to do is turn on the TV. Every day, if you watch the news, it's negative, 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 negative. And so this week when we're talking about our, our takeaways, and Chris asked, you know, what's, uh, he, he worded it different, but what's a positive? What's a positive this week? And then, you know, what do you not like or what's negative? Uh, here's my, I have no negatives. That doesn't mean there aren't things that I wouldn't have tweaked. That doesn't mean that I thought camp was like heaven. But when it all comes down to it, there's nothing negative. Because I think we need to create an environment that is always positive, that's always encouraging. It doesn't mean that we ignore what is obvious. But it means that we focus, we choose, we make an intentional choice to focus on the right things for the right reasons. Because you and I, as I've said, we may not like where we are, you may not like your circumstances, you may not like your workplace, you may not like your home life, but never forget whose you are. Your situation may not be good. Uh, you may uh, sometimes focus on the things uh, before, uh, rather than on the God who is around you. A lot of times we focus on the things all around us that take us away from Him. We focus on things rather than focusing on the persons who is, who is in the midst of all of our troubles and situations. And then the Bible says here in 2 Thessalonians that God has chosen us to be saved through the work of, uh, of Christ. We are called through the gospel to live in a part of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called through the gospel. The Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit has been wor at work for the last two weeks at camp as children uh, recommitted themselves, as students uh, recommit themselves, that they replug in and they really uh, kind of take a pause and, and look to determine what they value, what their priorities are, what their priorities should be. But for me, the greatest spiritual breakthrough was really come to the realization that our community is full of brokenness. And that brokenness 
needs redemption. And the redemption is not going to come as a result of throwing money at people. It's not going to come as a result of, of uh, helping one time a year or uh, pulling a kid into camp once a year. And Because here's the thing, camp is six days. There'll be over 359 days more of the year that we don't necessarily are able to impact them. But our commitment must be in a redemptive way to love students where they are, to love children where they are, and to go after the broken families that are inherent in our society. And many of you, many of you would be able to share today if we went around the room that you even have, listen, you have family members, you have brothers and sisters or cousins or, uh, or, or, or relatives that are living in a broken family, a broken home. And I'm not talking just about divorce. I'm talking about real brokenness of drug addiction or abuse or, or, or many, many other things that go along. And many of you could say that, you know, that you have family members that are struggling with those type of environments. And those family units have children and youth in them and they're not immune to that. I mean, it sort of reminds me of a couple years ago uh, that uh, the, the mother, uh, her and her husband were having great difficulty. And I mean, tumultuous difficulty in their marriage. Abusive. It was emotionally abusive. It was sexually abusive and whatnot. And she had come to talk to me and she wanted me to talk to her husband. And as I, I talked to both of them individually, both of them were the idea that they, they would just put on a show for the kids. And that that was going to be fine, as if the kids would not notice about what's going on. You and I are foolish to think that our children do not pick up on the subtle abuses that spouses have. Or abuses in their environment. It is infused in their makeup. And so as they grow and as they build, they have this anger, this dormant anger that is lurking somewhere back there. And then when it comes out, it comes with a vengeance, it comes with a rage. And we wonder why, gosh, this person has emotional problems or this person's got issues. Why nobody else is doing that? Consider the source. There's no such thing as a bad kid. There's no such thing as a bad student. There's no such thing as a bad child. There's just children and students who've come from bad, bad situations. And our commitment must be to redeem those. We may not like where we are, but we can always be grateful for whose we are. Second point I want to make is this. As the Apostle Paul writes these things, as we ought to always thank God, he says, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Hold on to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Stand firm. Stand strong. Be unwavering in your commitment to Christ. Be unwavering in your commitment to pursue Him. Be unwavering in what He's called us to do. What has Jesus called us to do? What has God called us to do? Well, we could go all the way back to the very beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then we could go to the New Testament in the Gospels... And we can see Jesus take up that great Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. And then he, remember, Jesus is not abolishing getting rid of the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of it. So he takes the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then he goes on to say, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest commandment. All the rest fall under 
this one. Stand firm on what? Stand firm on Christ. Stand firm on Christ's principles. And if there's one principle that supersedes all others, it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. And see, you know, we love the first part of it and we love the second part of it because uh, it's kind of general. Love your neighbor as yourself. And probably we're thinking, for those of us who have lived in this community for a number of years or decades, we know our neighbors. Oh, I don't have a problem loving my neighbor. I mean, every once in a while I'll take them an apple pie or they'll see me on the golf course or whatnot. Uh, you know, and then, you know, my neighbor, it is so easy for me to love my neighbor because she's been deceased for two years. There's nobody beside me. It's easy. I mean, I have no, listen, I have no problems with my neighbor whatsoever. I don't have disputes. I have been perfect in my response to her. She's been deceased for two years. My point is this, that you and I need to really put a name and a face to the neighbor. So let me pause here and ask you this. I want you to think, I want you to think of the one person in your life that's about to drive you batty. You got it. You, you know you got it. You, you thought of that person immediately. There's, there's a person that absolutely gets on your last nerve. They're just obnoxious. You would love to have the opportunity to baptize them and hold them under for like five minutes. You would love it. That person that's obnoxious. And I could go a step further. There may be even people in here that not only obnoxious that would go as far as to say, I despise that individual for what they did to me or how they treated my child or how they treated whatever. Or you may go even a step further and say, you know what? I know hate's a strong word, but there's one person who I absolutely hate. And you could think of that individual. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the neighbor. The most extreme person that you and I can think of. And listen, we all have them. I mean, I'm sure you have one. I have one. There's these people that have been obnoxious in our lives. You know who mine is. Uh, not even, and they're not here, so don't worry about it. It's none of you in the room. You don't have to get a complex in it. Make an appointment with her as a therapist and go talk about it. Nobody in here. But there's someone in my life that absolutely calls my life hell. I'm, I'm just being quite transparent. And over a period of time, and the staff know uh, kind of the, the situation of the story, but uh, over a period of time, I had really, like, I'd have anxiety over this individual. Uh, and this person did not know that I had anxiety. I mean, they knew that, they knew that I didn't think they were right. They knew that I didn't think that they treated me very fairly. But every time I got in proximity a location of where they lived, like my blood pressure would go up, I'd break out in sweats, and I, I finally, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Is, is this person losing any sleep over this? Is this person focused on my anxiety? No. This person doesn't even know, doesn't care. I had to make a determination and a spiritual understanding of, as this. And God says to me, Todd, if you can't move on and you can't forgive this individual, how in the world can you talk about forgiveness? How in the world can you say that you love me when your anger and animosity and frustration and all your energy is focused on that one person? Who, by the way, Todd is technically 
a neighbor. Changed my life in many ways. Changed my life. Because the anger and resentment that had built in, and some of you know, some of you, some, how many of you have ever had anger and resentment built in against somebody? It's, it's hard. It is extremely hard. It's so easy to talk about, you know, oh, I've given that to the Lord. The test of whether you've given it to the Lord is, how do you feel when you get in the proximity of them? Are you able, are you able to make it in the midst of that? Thank God for all of your circumstances. Thank God, get, be grateful to God every day. Always be grateful to Him because He has called us into a relationship through the gospel to His Son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, stand firm. Be unwavering. When you and I hold resentment, when we hold ill will, when we focus so much on the external surroundings of our lives, rather on the God who's in the midst of them, when we focus on the waves and the clouds and the storms that are around, rather than on the Christ that's in the midst of it, just as Peter did uh, in the New Testament, you and I will always, 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 always sink. And we'll go deeper than we have ever, ever gone. Why do people go into depression? People go into depression because they physiologically, emotionally cannot deal with the circumstances that are around them. Many of them don't know how to cope and to, fin to finesse the circumstances. They're defined by circumstances. The circumstances speak so much into the life. And so what Christ wants to do, what the Lord wants to do, is to speak in the midst of that. And say, stand firm, be thankful for me, be thankful for the gospel by which and through which through the person of Jesus Christ that you have been called to. We ought to always thank God because God chose us. Listen, God chose us. He wasn't waiting for you to sign up. He wasn't looking for volunteers. He didn't just say, let there be people. And there were people. God intentionally chose you and created you. And I believe in a person, listen, you know, some of you may differ from me. I believe in a God who personally chose me. I believe in a God who personally chose you because he loves you that much. He loves us that much. He wants us to live a fulfilling life, a holistic life, a life that's caught up in him. He's chosen us to be saved through the work of of Christ, we are called through the gospel, as verse 14 says, to share in the glory of Jesus Christ. We're called through the gospel to share in the glory of Jesus Christ. So I challenge you, if the gospel is the means by which or is the, the canal through which we come to Christ, which it is, that's why we share the gospel with all people then the gospel has a connection with our circumstances. The gospel is calling us, listen, within the midst of our circumstances, the gospel is, is calling us to just trust in Jesus. That uh, The cliche that God's got this is so real and so true. Can you hear the gospel working? Are you standing firm? For many of us, we're not even standing We've been crippled by whatever is around us. The Bible says, stand 
firm, be unwavering, don't give in, stand with God. Let Him have our full attention. Why? Because in verse 16, He says, May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. May He encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. In this family of First Baptist Church, as I've said, so much diversity, so many opinions. And as I've said time and time again, out of 300 Baptists, you have about 900 opinions. You know, that's just the way it is. Some people like their fried chicken crispy. Some people like their fried chicken regular. Some people don't like fried chicken. Some people like their fried chicken with the kind of seasonings on When you and I recognize that church is not about us, but it's about loving the Lord and loving our neighbor, when you and I recognize that our neighbor represents not only the one person that first came to mind when we talk about someone being obnoxious or somebody that gets on our nerves, but when we realize that there's a lot of people in our lives that get on our nerves, there's a lot of people in our lives that need Jesus, until we recognize them as neighbor, until we recognize our need to do something about that neighbor, until we recognize and embrace our call that we should love the Lord with all of our heart and we should love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Hello, we are a self-centered society. And my wife just said it. Why, you know, what causes a lot of the problems in family? Self-centeredness. We don't have a problem loving me. Because most of the things we do is for the me. But God doesn't say love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love yourself as yourself. Love your neighbor. Which leaves it open-ended. Because you may sit there today and say, does he mean... Does he mean, does he mean that person? Does he, I mean, does he really, I mean, what does it mean to be neighbor? I mean, let's, let's, let's logistically get this down. Does that mean it's, it's the people on my street? Does that mean, does that mean the people that I exercise with? Does that mean my coworkers? Does that mean fellow churchmen? Does that mean people in our community? Does that mean people that I go and I, and I see on a mission trip? Does that mean people that have come together at camp? Does that mean the people that, that we're around at camp? It's your neighbor. Interesting thing about neighbor, the only definitive answer to what neighbor is, is neighbor is not you. Neighbor is someone else. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. To the family here at First Baptist Church, Love is stressful. Love is not drama-free. Love is trying. But our love must be unconditional. Doesn't mean that we can't be firm. Doesn't mean that we don't have an opinion. Doesn't mean that we could have an off day and say things we shouldn't or do things that we shouldn't. But we love the Lord with all our hearts. And we love our neighbors as ourselves. We commit to reaching families. We commit to reaching kids. We commit to reaching students. And we don't rest until our neighbors have come to the same gospel 
have come to the same knowledge, have come to the same opportunity. Notice I'm not saying that we've given them the opportunity and they haven't received it. We don't rest until every person comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people that we encounter, some people that we share with, they're mad at God. They're angry because of situations. It's not share the gospel once and write them off. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Somebody was instrumental in you coming to Christ either by their prayers or by their commitment to love on you, encourage you, speak to you. Some kids just need to hear, you're a good kid. Some students just need to hear, you know what, if everything else fails... We'll be there for you. You call us anytime. Let me tell you why First Baptist Church is growing. Not because of Chris. Not because of Todd. It's because the people of God, there are a group of people here at First Baptist Church that take the salvation of Christ seriously and take the commitment to making sure that children and youth and drug addicts and the forgotten and everybody else are loved. And what you sense and what you feel and what your emotions are speaking to and what they're honing in on is the reality that we care. There's a lot of people that say they care. We care. Because Christ has gone before us. He has saved us. He has called us. He has loved us unconditionally. And so as we go out into our families, into our neighborhoods, into our communities, into our schools, into our workplaces, to camp on vacation... And everywhere else, we just simply need to love people. That they might come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through our unconditional commitment of them and our unwavering, standing, firm support of praying for them and giving them opportunities of encouragement and hope to let them know that the God of the universe who has called us and who has saved us Loves them too. And at the cross there is room for everybody. 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 Jesus Christ has loved and loves everybody. And I'll even go as far as to say that Jesus Christ will love people and will continue to love people and will love people, even those who will adamantly oppose him, and even those who will spend eternity in hell. He loves them all the way. That's the love of God. Transcends the human mind. Absolutely, radically transforms the human heart. And absolutely revolutionizes the church. To him be the glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today and looking in your word and the Apostle Paul's encouragement to not only the church at Thessalonica, but also the church of today. 
Lord, I thank you for the commitment of our people to pray for students and children, to give financially for the causes and the fundraisers that make camp a reality. Father, I thank you for the commitment of people who are invested in students' lives, for the, the educators here that see them uh, five days out of the school year a, a week. Father, I pray for families. I pray for brokenness. Lord, you know every situation, you know every need. And I pray that we could just, be, we could just rest in you. Lord, that you would continue to challenge us as we think about our neighbor. Yes, even the obnoxious ones. That you would burden our hearts and our souls for the reality that lostness is not something that's out there. Lostness is something that is in here. And we need you. We desperately, desperately need you. I thank you for what is becoming First Baptist Church a family that's becoming, a family that is growing. Father, we thank you for the trials that we face. We thank you for the circumstances, the, the growing pains that we experience. Father, we thank you for the diversity that we have. Lord, may we love you with all our hearts, mind, and soul. May we love our neighbors as ourselves, And may we go, may we go with Christ. And may we glow his light in the darkness of our world, of our homes, and of our own lives. May we find our resting place in the sovereignty, in the sovereign grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lifts our faces, who changes our hearts, and who gives us the encouragement and hope. Give us a ministry of reconciliation. Give us a ministry of transformation. And Lord, as we pray for many hearts and many lives that need to be changed, Lord, the heart that may need to be changed may actually be our own. Lord, in this time and in this space and in this very place, we come to you and worship. We offer ourselves in this invitation as we trust in you and you alone. May it not just be words that we sing, but lives that we live. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you're visiting with us, uh, maybe perhaps the Holy Spirit has worked with you this week or worked through you there in this service. Maybe you have expanded upon your view of what your neighbor is. Maybe there is resentment and anger that you've had about your circumstance. Maybe, as we've always said, a lot of us have been defined by the obstacles that we face or the storms that are lurking in the backdrop of our lives. And today, you want to stand firm in the confidence of the gospel and the confidence of Jesus Christ, who is in the midst of the storm, who is able to speak peace in the midst of the tumultuous things that are going on as we lean into Him, as we trust in Him, as we believe in Him, as we love Him with all our hearts, our minds, and our soul, and as we radically love other people unconditionally because Christ has unconditionally loved us. As we stand, as we sing, won't you respond? If the Lord's speaking, won't you come? Won't you come? This altar's open.